Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Acts chapter 9 this morning as we continue in our teaching series, which we've entitled Acts, the Gospel Unleashed. And, you know, there are, there are two things that most of us know, I would, I would think, this morning. Most of us that are here this morning would know. Number one, most of us would know the song that we sang this morning, Amazing Grace. This is one of the most uh, famous and beloved hymns of all time. It was written by John Newton in 1772. So that's number one. That is something that most of us would know. Secondly, I would think that, well, I know that, those of you that I know, we all recognize that slavery, the dehumanization of individuals by owning controlling and seeing others as property against their will, we would all say that this is sinfully wrong. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, But some of us may not realize that the writer of Amazing Grace, John Newton, was once guilty of being a slave trader. And at the age of 23, his testimony goes that while he was out at sea, there was this great storm that hit his ship. And the ship began to sink. And as he began to see cargo and as he began to see his crewmates being swept overboard, fear overcame him. And so he cried out to God. He hadn't prayed what he says in years. And he cried out to God, have mercy on us. And as the story goes, John was saved and he made it back to shore. And uh, he says this years later, he said, I consider this as the beginning of my return to God, or rather of his return to me. But I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word till a considerable time afterwards. In other words, he's saying that it took time for him to truly understand the gospel and to be saved. But eventually, this man, who appeared to be unreachable, came to faith in Jesus. And what happened, his life was transformed in an amazing way. He eventually became an ordained pastor and he became one of Britain's greatest anti-slavery advocates. And um, this is, this is a, an amazing transformation of what God can do in our lives. And my hope this morning is that as we're moving forward in our text. We're going to see the great transformation of the Apostle Paul. And um, there's three types of people this morning that I hope, at least three types of people this morning that I hope will be encouraged. Number one, it's those who know an unreachable desperado. Do you you know what I'm talking about when I say, say desperado? If you know the Eagles, you know they sang a song about a guy that, w- that wouldn't come to his senses. He's out riding what? Fences, Fences right? And, and what I mean by that is, is you know someone that you, you love, you, you care about them, but you know that they're heading in the wrong direction. Um, 
This person is on the wrong path. They're headed for destruction and they won't listen. So I hope this morning that this message will encourage you to not give up. Secondly, there are those who are in an ongoing conflict with someone. Okay, now what I mean by this is somebody that you are in close relationship with, it's someone that you possibly care about, and you both could even say, we know that we both have issues and that we're, doing, that we're wrong in what we're doing. But for some reason, you can't move forward. You just are stuck in a relational rut. Can anybody relate to that? Can I get an amen on that? Uh, I'm hoping that this passage will encourage you. And the third is the group that, uh, that are struggling with a besetting sin. And what I mean by this, this is an area uh, in your life that you are at, you're at war it's a sin that's in your life, but you're at war with it. But it's a struggle, and you just can't seem to overcome it. You can't seem to find victory. These three, three groups of people and maybe other groups, I'm hoping at least these three groups will be encouraged by uh, this morning's message. And if you're in these three, three scenarios, I know that at some point you've asked the question, why? Haven't you? Why? is that person heading down the wrong path and they can't see it? Why do I keep having this dis ongoing dispute with this person and we just can't get move forward? And the real question that we're asking is, why is true transformation so difficult? I mean true and lasting transformation is so difficult. And you know, part of the answer to that is found in the song that we sang, verse one that we sang this morning in Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. Was blind, but now I see. Spiritual blindness is often the issue that uh, we're dealing with, with. And as I already quoted, John Newton confessed that his transformation into the light was not overnight. It took time. And it's rare if you really... Uh, study somebody and the way that when they come to Christ, it's rare that it's immediate. It often is a process that takes time. And again, my hope this morning as we're continuing in the book of Acts chapter 9, that we're going to be encouraged as we observe one of the most amazing transformations of uh, Saul of Tarsus. And he's, uh, he's probably one of the most famous and influential disciples of Jesus who ever lived. And his conversion is regarded by many as the most significant event that happens in the book of Acts, second only to the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And I would have to agree with that, that, that the, the uh, conversion of the Apostle Paul is one of the greatest uh, events that happened in the book of Acts because of he wrote most of the New Testament. Most of what we read, most of the things that we quote come from him um, as we are preaching messages and or as we're studying the scripture. And, uh, but although he came to Christ, he was probably the most improbable convert. You need to keep that in mind as we're moving forward. He was probably the most improbable convert, but because of God, and I wanna emphasize that, because of God, eventually he became one of Jesus' most fruitful and persecuted Disciples, there is a correlation between fruitfulness and persecution. And he was one of the most fruitful and persecuted disciple. And I want to just point out something. Throughout this message, I'm going to refer to him, if we're not reading the text, as the Apostle Paul. 
and uh, even though he's referred to as, the, as Saul. And the reason I'm going to do that is because um, we never refer to him as the Apostle Saul. Have you ever noticed that? And I used to think that once Saul became a Christian that they changed his name to Paul, but that's not what happened here. Actually, Saul is the Hebrew name for Saul, and Paul is his Roman name. And so if I call him Paul, I didn't mess up. I'm, I'm just calling him what we would call him. I'm speaking in Roman. <laughs> I guess that's Latin, but anyway. So real quick, as we're moving through, I've got, there's three sections that I've broken this text up in. You don't have to write this down because it'll come back later on as we're moving forward. But the three sections are verses one through two, the confident crusader is blind. Verses three through nine, the unreachable conqueror is conquered. And then verses 10 through 22, the unlikely believer is unbelievable. And with a, for a quick background, I just want to remind you that back in chapter 7, Paul is one of those guys that was in agreement when Stephen was stoned to death. He was watching the coats, but he cast his vote, yes, let's stone him. Then in chapter 8, after persecution broke out, it says that he was ravaging the church in verse 3. It says that he was ravaging the church. He was going into homes, dragging men and women. When you drag the women out, you know that you're serious. It's serious business. But they, he was dragging men and women and throwing them into prison. And so he began a crusade that extended past uh, Jerusalem. And we're going to see that even though uh, he was full of confidence, that he was full of rage, that we're going to see that the confident crusader is blind. So let's pick up with verse 1, and we're going to move forward with our text. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that, he, that, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as we're moving forward with this um, account, I think it's important to understand or to remember who Paul was before he came to Jesus. And Paul was not a half-hearted, run-of-the-mill Jew. Uh, he was more like a type A alpha male. You know those guys or gals that just know they're right? They're very confident in themselves. They're very strong in what they believe. Uh, that's who Paul would have been. And um, he, he describes himself in Philippians 3 uh, this way. He said, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Now, when he says in the flesh, he's saying before I came to Christ, I had confidence in myself, in my abilities, in my giftings. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? But, he, it, you know, this is, he's writing as a Christian, so he's not, like, lying here. He's going, man, I was the man before I came to Christ, humanly speaking. And he's going to go through a list of why he was that way. Uh, verse 5 says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
And that, all of that to say that Paul was a proud, he was very proud and he was very disciplined. He knew his Jewish lineage and he could trace it all the way back to the prestigious tribe of Benjamin. And um, it says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I think this means that he knew that his bloodline as a Jew was pure. It had not, he was not a half-breed like the Samaritans. And his way of life, the way that he lived, was very Jewish. He, he was 100% kosher. Uh, in other words, it, uh, he had not been uh, influenced. He had not been contaminated by the Gentiles who were living around him. And so he also said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and that means that he was obsessed with outwardly keeping the law. He said he was blameless in what he did. So, in other words, he was learned, he was disciplined, he was zealous, but he was blind. And in his blindness, he launched a crusade to try and purify Israel from the way. You know, that's initially what Christians were called when they, in the very beginning. They were called the way. I think that's really cool, don't you? If we ever plant another church, let's call it Reach the Way. <laughs> I think that that would be, I, I love that. Uh, and it shouldn't be a surprise to us that that's what they were called. Uh, possibly it's, they were called that because in John 14, if you'll remember, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's about to leave, he's about to go away. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Show us the way. And what does Jesus say? He says, I am the way and the truth and the And no man comes to the except through. Good, I like it. We're going to do the rest of my sermon this way, back and forth. <laughs> but Jesus calls himself the way. And the disciples said, we know the way. And we are going to point people to the way. And so that's what, uh, to me, uh, I love that that is what uh, they were first referred to of, but Paul didn't. Paul couldn't stomach it because uh, he thought that they were heretics and he wanted to eradicate uh, the, the, um, Jerusalem, not only Jerusalem from this, of this sect, but he wanted to wipe them totally off the face of the earth. That's why he would put them in prison and that's why he would put them to death. It's interesting that the language that is used in verse 1 depicts Paul as a raging, kind of like an untamed beast with uh, a type of animalistic anger. It says that he was uh, breathing threats and murder. Breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He was driven. He was uh, blind. And he describes himself this way in Acts 26, later on in Acts, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul was definitely, before he came to Christ, was a dangerous man who was fully convinced. Listen, he was fully convinced that he was serving the Lord. Do you know anybody that is going the wrong direction, but they're fully convinced that they are headed 
for the truth. That's what Paul was like. And Paul was sincere. But as the saying goes, he was sincerely wrong. And Paul is that guy that appeared to be unreachable. And he appeared to be unstoppable. He had the authorities of, of, um, of the Jews behind him. He seemed to be unstoppable. But we need to, to, we're going to see in verses 3 through 9 that the unreachable conqueror is going to be conquered. Let's look at verse 3. Now as he, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. It's, it's interesting that um, Paul's conversion actually is recorded three times in the book of Acts. Uh, in this chapter, in chapter 22, and in chapter 26. And if we put them all together, we get a fuller picture of what happened that day. And um, what we learn is that at noon, noonday, when the sun is the highest, when the sun is the brightest, Paul says that a light from heaven that was brighter than the sun, brighter than the sun, shone around him and consequently blinded him. And you know, when Paul falls to the ground, uh, simultaneously or immediately, he realizes three things. The first thing that he realizes is that Jesus is alive. Now, Paul would have been a contemporary of Jesus. He would have lived during the time when Jesus was ministering on the earth. Whether or not he actually met him, we don't know whether or not he actually heard Jesus speak in Jerusalem. We don't know that. But we do know that he, he had heard the gospel being proclaimed by the other disciples. That's why he was so angry. Um, he knew, and there's a couple things he knew for sure. He knew that Jesus had lived. He knew that Jesus had died, right? But to say that he was the sinless son of God who died for the sins of the world, in Paul's mind was blasphemy. Um, he did not believe that, and he certainly did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus until now. Until now. And now he knows that Jesus is alive. Secondly, he realized that Jesus is intimately united with his people. Notice how in verse 4, when Paul asks Jesus who he is, Jesus answers, Saul, Saul. He doesn't answer, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? And then, then Paul goes, um, who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. This is something that, that shows us that Jesus is closely related to his people. And that basically he's saying this, if you mess with my people, you're messing with me. 
If you mess with my brothers or sisters, you're messing with me. That's why Paul writes in, in Romans 12, 15, that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to weep with those who weep. Why? Because Jesus is always rejoicing and weeping with his brothers and sisters. You don't suffer. We don't suffer. We don't go through any trial without Jesus suffering and experiencing it with us. We need to understand that, that Jesus is intimately united with his people. And that's something that Paul realized as he began to speak to Jesus. And the third thing that Paul realized, which would have been extremely heavy, is that he was absolutely wrong. Everything he was doing came to an immediate sudden halt. Um, it says in verse 9, and for three days he was without sight. And look, it says he neither ate nor drank. Paul had set out as a confident conquering crusader, but he ends up getting conquered and being led by the hand into the city. And ironically, now he was physically blind, but spiritually he could see. And, you know, sometimes God has to do that in our lives. He has to touch the physical in order to get us, get it, to get our attention so that we can see spiritually. And in, and in, and in an instant, um, Paul's world was turned upside down. It was capsized. And he realized that the, his ladder of success that he had been climbing was leaning up against a building that was actually burning to the ground. And he understood that everything, now this, was, this is what would uh, really uh, destroy me psychologically, but he realized that everything he had been living for was a sham. He realized that, that his life, what he was opposing, he was opposing the truth, and that his life was, was a lie in many ways. Um, in Philippians 3, he refers to his accomplishments, once he came to Jesus, he refers to all, of, all that he had accomplished as being like dung. Um, that's a, that's a, a kind word that, that we use in English, dung. Um, it, it was bull. Okay, I can't say the rest of it, but you, it's one of those things that it's a very strong word. He says, everything I accomplished was nothing compared to Jesus when I came in encounter with him. And this caused him to sit for three days in darkness. And he couldn't eat, he couldn't drink, and I bet you he didn't get much sleep during that time. And uh, I've thought about if I was Paul, what would be going through my mind during that time? And he would have had to been thinking about the families, the men and the women, and possibly even the children that he had separated and, and torn apart during his rage and their, their cries still ringing in his ears and, and some of the women and, and men he put to death. So I believe that he was, he was overcome with unbearable remorse. Have, have you ever been in a place where you've done something uh, that has brought great guilt upon you, uh, unbearable remorse? Uh, for me, sometimes uh, I can hear a song or have a certain smell or, or I'll go somewhere here. Since I grew up here in Asheville, I can go somewhere here in Asheville. And it will remind me 
of um, a dark season in my life. Or I can um, be reminded of how much of my life, how much time I've wasted, how much of what God has put into my hands I have wasted and and, uh, uh, not done well with, with the opportunities that he's given me. Or uh, sometimes it's something that I've said to someone. Have you ever said something? You're like, ah, I wish I could take that back. Or you've done something that was inappropriate and it doesn't matter. You can't change it. It's sitting upon you. Well, the question I want to ask you is, if you can relate to that, um, my question is, how do, how do we move forward? How do we move forward when we're filled with uh, guilt and shame? Where do we find true relief? And uh, how, do we tr- how do we find, in other words, true life-changing transformation? And I like what Skip Heitzig, he's a, a famous American pastor who preaches and teaches the word, but he points out that in this passage there are two questions that Paul asks Jesus during their encounter that I think are helpful. I think they can help us to answer how do we move forward. And in verse 5, remember, what does Paul ask Jesus? He says, who are you, Lord? That's the question he asks. Now, that word Lord there uh, can also be translated as sir. At this point, Jesus is not, uh, Paul is not calling Jesus Lord. He's saying, who are you, sir? He's being respectful to him. And that's the first question that we need to be able to answer is this. Who is Jesus? If we're going to be able to move forward in life, if we're going to be transformed truly, the first question that we have to ask is, who is Jesus? And this must be answered. And on Thursday nights, as we've been meeting together with uh our MC, one of the things that we're learning about is false teachers and cults. And one of the traits of of false teachers and cults is that they will always attack Jesus. They will attack the person of Jesus. And typically they'll attack three areas. Number one, they will attack his deity. They will attack, secondly, his lordship. And then they will add, they will attack his work, what he did by adding to it. In other words, What he did on the cross when he died as the Son of God was not enough, they will say, and we still have more work to do for salvation. And so if you're struggling with guilt, if you're struggling uh, with things that you should have done that you didn't or that you did that you shouldn't have and, and you're filled with shame and despair, the first thing that you need to do is ask this, who is Jesus? And did he really do what he said he was going to do? Did he really stand in the gap and take your guilt and your shame and your sin upon himself so that you could be freed from it? So it could be as if, if you put your faith in him, it could be as if you didn't do the thing you did. Is Jesus who he said he is? That is the first thing before you can take any steps further, you have to answer that question, who is Jesus? Secondly, did he rise from the dead, right? Did he rise from the dead? And can he live, does he live to be able to come to my aid? That's the first thing that you need to settle. Secondly, and this this question is not found in today's chapter, chapter 9. It's actually found in the other account, Acts 22. Paul asked Jesus another question. He says, what do you want me to? To do. This is found in Acts 22, verse 10. But he says, what do you want me to do? That is a question. Those are the two questions we need to ask. Who is Jesus and what does he want you to do? 
Well, what did, if Paul's asking that question, what does Jesus want him to do? Number one, Jesus wanted him to repent. In other words, he wanted him to change his mind. He wanted him to turn directions and stop going in the direction he was going and turn around. He wanted him to be, and listen, if you're a believer, this is a word that we talk about all the time. It's not like you repent one time. This is kind of an, an a, uh, ongoing exercise or practice that we do as believers. It, we often can, uh, uh, the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, right? So when we wander and we realize we wandered, we turn back and we renew our mind. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So the first thing that we need to do is repent. Secondly, Jesus would want Paul to believe. Now this is huge. This is the huge part, to believe. Because what was Jesus offering Paul? Forgiveness, right? Paul had been killing his disciples. And Jesus does not come down from heaven and say, You're, it's, it's over. I'm conquering you by destroying you. No, he says, I'm conquering you by offering you forgiveness. That is, that is listen, that is, we talk about this uh, hopefully week after week. That is the key. That is the power to you being able to move forward. To being, we sang, my chains are gone this morning. Forgiveness is what sets us free from our chains so that we don't have to keep looking at that thing that is haunting us from the past. When we confess it, when we repent of it, when we bring it to the Lord and we believe it's done, it's finished, and it becomes rejoicing. That's the third thing. It turns into rejoicing, and we live lives of rejoicing in the light of Christ's forgiveness. Galatians 2.20, a very famous verse that we, most of us know, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Who, do you believe that? I know we know that, but do you believe that? That he loves you? Do you believe that he gave himself for you? I don't mean, you know, in general, but have you brought it personal? Paul knew that when he had that encounter with Christ, that Christ loved him and that he had died for him. Well, the last thing I want us to look at is that verses 10 through 22 is that the unlikely believer is unbelievable. And I mean that in two ways. People aren't going to believe that he was a believer. And it's unbelievable what Christ did in his life. Let's look at verse 10. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. It's interesting to me. Look, the Lord speaks to Ananias, or he, the Lord speaks to Paul. Paul says, who are you? The Lord speaks to Ananias. He says, here I am. Why? My sheep hear my voice, and they know my voice, right? And they follow me. So, the, so Ananias is truly a disciple of, uh, of Jesus. And basically what happens in, in this 
section is that uh, the Lord tells Ananias to go down to, to where Paul is staying and to lay hands on him and to pray for him. And at first, Ananias uh, kind of has an objectionable conversation with him. He says, Lord, isn't that the one that's dangerous? Uh, and the Lord, he's very kind to him. He, he convinces him. He says, no, he's mine. He's a chosen instrument, and he's going to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. He's going to carry it to kings, and he's going to carry it to the Jews. And in verse 17, it says that Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. And soon after that, it says that Paul began to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. That is unbelievable. Um, this is, is the greatest, most unlikely convert of all time. And at first, most did not believe that it was possible. If we were to be able to read the entire passage, we would see that time after time, they're like, isn't that the one that persecuted the church? It says that when he went to Jerusalem, that everyone was afraid of him. That was this, and this is three years later. People still were having a hard time believing that Paul had been saved. And one of the things that we need to understand is that, is that forgiveness is immediate. When we confess our sin to God, it is immediately our sin is forgiven. When we trust in Jesus, immediately. There's no waiting period. God doesn't go, hmm, I'm going to make sure you're, you really meant it. He forgives us when we, when we confess our sin and believe. But we need to understand that transformation is gradual and Trust must be built. Trust must be built. And I'm bringing this point out because human relationships are very delicate. Have you ever noticed that? That it doesn't take much to rattle the cage. And um, it takes time often for broken relationships to be mended and to be healed. I remember uh, uh, a pastor friend of mine told me that years ago when he was young in his marriage, he had an anger problem. And when him and his wife would get in a, an, a, a, a dispute, he would just get angry. And one time he, he saw some keys laying on the counter, so he picked them up and he just threw them through the window, went straight through the window. And you know, if that is the way your life, and I'm just using that as an example, but if that is the way that your relationship has been with other people or, or you've had that type of interaction and God changes you, yes, you are forgiven immediately. And you can be changed and transformed. But we need to understand it may take time for the other party to kind of get on board with that. And so we need to be patient with other people. We don't want to put a time stamp on how soon it must be in order to be getting hugs and kisses from the other party. And, you know, sometimes our sin can, uh, can cause the relationship to never be the same depending upon the, the offense. But I want us to keep these truths in mind as we're, as we're thinking about and moving forward in transformation. And this account of Paul, um, it reminds us of two things. Number one, it reminds us that God can reach and change anyone. God can reach and he can change anyone. And it also reminds us that spiritual blindness is a real thing. 
That was Paul's primary issue. He was spiritually blind. As, as he later writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Is someone in your life that you know going in the wrong direction? You know what? The, the real problem that they have is they're blind. Now, they may say, yeah, I know that I'm going to go to hell. I've heard people say, I know I'm going to go to hell, but I'm going to have a good time while I'm going there. That's, if, they don't, if they don't receive Christ, that's true. But you know what? They're still blind. They don't realize what they're saying. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them what? They know not what they're doing. They knew what they were doing, but they didn't know what they were doing because they were blinded by the God of this world, by Satan. And so we need to keep that in mind and that it was the light of the gospel. We can't change somebody. We can't open their eyes. But we can live our lives in such a way that points people to, to, the, to Jesus and we can speak and teach the truth of the gospel in love. And as we know, Paul initially rejected it, but it finally broke through and brought true life tra transforming change in his life. And that's what will happen in our lives. Now, in closing, um, I want to do something a little bit different in closing. To, this morning, I want to um, pray before Pastor Terry comes and administers communion. But I want to pray for the three categories of people that I mentioned at the beginning. Those of us who know desperados, those of, of us who are experiencing conflict with others, and for those who are struggling with besetting sins. I want you to ask yourself if you can fit, if you relate to any of those categories. And then what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to pray for us. And if you want me to pray for you, I want to ask that you would, in just a second, I want to ask that you would just stand up where you're at. Now, I'm already standing. Uh, and I actually fit in all three of these categories. Okay, so um, I want to ask if anyone else wants to join in this prayer with me, that you would just stand where you're at. And I'm going to pray for you. Uh, the, if you have a desperado, I want to just ask that you would stand on behalf of that person. Because I'm going to pray for that person this morning. Um, and then secondly, if you are uh, having conflict or that you have an area in your life that you really want uh, God to set you free from. I want to pray for us, you also. So at this time, if you would like, if you'd like to stand, uh, I'm going to pray in just a second here. Let's pray. Father, it 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 really is an amazing truth that we can come to you that we can come to you and that, that we can know you. Um, and we know that we can come to you because you are the one that initiated and you said, come to me. You called us to yourself. And Lord, we, we come to you this morning acknowledging that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life, and that, that no one can come to you except through Jesus. And like Peter, we want to confess together that only you have the words of eternal life. There's no one else that we want to go to because only you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Father, this morning I want to um, 
pray for those people that we know, that we love, that we care about, that are spiritually blind. They are in captivity to the evil one and they cannot see and they're currently heading in the wrong direction and, and they are set on going away from you. They are in a, going in the direction of being uh, destroyed and perishing. And they don't realize, Lord, they don't truly realize their need for you. And Lord, that's, that's where we all were at one point. But you didn't stop pursuing us. And so, Father, we want to ask on behalf of these people that you would have mercy on them and continue to reach out to them, Lord, and that you would open their eyes. We pray that you would destroy the work of Satan, that you would take the, the scales that are upon their eyes, just as you did with Paul, and that you would help them to be removed by the proclamation and understanding of the gospel that you love us, that you care about us, and that you want to give us life and to give it abundantly through Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bring conviction and open their eyes that they might know you and be saved. Secondly, Lord, we want to pray uh, for those of us who are currently struggling with conflict with other people, um, also who are struggling with sin in our lives that we are at war with, but we just we keep struggling in certain areas. I want to ask that you would first and foremost give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, that you would once again remind us of the gospel, that you would remind us of who Jesus is, that you have come to pay for our sin. Help us to understand that our sin has been paid for and that you love us. And then I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts afresh and that we would once again know the hope to which you have called us and that we would know the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints and that the power that, that raised Jesus from the dead as we believe would be at work within us, enabling us to repent, enabling us to believe and enabling us to live lives that are, that are worthy of the gospel. Lord, we pray these things for your name's sake and for our benefit. In the name of Jesus, amen.